This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hi, I'm Hanif Baharuddin and this is Gigi Well Played, BFM's video game show. We're at the end of October, which means that it's time for Jonathan Leo, Content Director at Kakuchopore.com to join me for our monthly run-up. This month is filled with a lot of big news and departures, especially let's start with the big news involving PlayStation CEO Jim Ryan who announced his departure from the company after close to 30 years at detail end of September. Uh, yes, uh, PlayStation leader Jim Ryan, yes, he announced his retirement and he doesn't have any further plans basically, although there is some tiny rumour that all those uh, live services plans that he had, all 12 of them, yeah, I think there's the future for those games are kind of shaky at this point in time because he actually did announce them the past few years or so. Mm. So beyond that... Um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, the guy has served there for quite a while. I won't say he's the most popular person, but he did try his best given the fact that Sean Layden, I mean, to be fair, I don't know. I think maybe Jim Ryan was probably like the least favorable choice, but this is the only choice considering his seniority and everything in mm. the company. So he worked with what he had. Lah. So hopefully things might change for the better for PlayStation <laughs> in terms of like optics and everything. Because compared to his past... Uh, past successes like maybe Andrew Ryan and Sean Layden. Um, yeah, th- th- those are actually better people. Or what's the name? Jack Tretton, right? Jack Tretton from mm. PlayStation. Yeah, those are more... I mean, they're obviously not... Corporations are not friends, but in terms of having the most personable face, I don't think Jim Ryan is up there on that list. He's probably at the lower tier when you think about it through and through. But... Yeah, okay. I mean, it, it, it happens. Um, I guess good for him for retiring after sticking around for so long, I guess. Yeah, he's been around for, I mean, close to 30 years. And uh, he, he's, a, I guess, quite quite a polarizing figure, right? One way or another. Very, as much as, yes. <laughs> as um, as this, I, I mean, I remember he was a guy who said that, no, we don't want those old games on our PlayStation, despite the fact that the PlayStation has always been, the only sticking point for the system has always been backwards compatible, like... They have the opportunity to, you know, win back some of its player base to have old games accessible. And the first thing he said when he started work, like leading PlayStation is, maybe you don't want to play these old games. I'm obviously paraphrasing, but he said something along those lines. (laughs) And also he wants to champion live service games. That's why he paid a lot of money to have Bungie on board. And then when Bungie said that one of their games isn't doing so hot, he had to cancel that. And now he's leaving. Those 12 or is it 11 projects that were planned for live service on PlayStation, they're probably going to be dead in the water when he's gone because he's the only one who's championing those ideas. Mm. Will that be among the things that he'll be remembered for? More negatives than positives? Actually, more negatives. I (laughs) cannot think of a single positive thing. I mean, if you... I don't know, like, people like Sean, people like Jack and all that, they were more like the faces you remember when it was the good times for PlayStation, especially around the PlayStation 4 era. Jim Ryan, of course, I guess he's a PlayStation 5 guy, and yeah, I'm, I'm really struggling to think about good <laughs> things he, he has done. I mean, there's more negatives than, than positives, but yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, at least the company isn't dead and PlayStations are being sold and we get okay, okay, I think it was also the guy who wanted to have remakes happening for games that have been around for five years. Like the Last of Us remake, I do not think anyone else apart from him and the suits wanted a 
remake of a game that came out like what five six years seven years prior that's available on ps4 mind you and could probably run better on the ps5 so it's a bit strange why he made those decisions so i just hope better decisions are made you know in terms of like what new games are coming out and maybe we don't need to spend like 20 million dollars or a but of marketing budget on triple a games you can probably you know make sure the money goes elsewhere <laughs> mm. yeah so jim ryan will officially retire next year in march 2024 um hiroki totoki sony group uh, corporation president and chief operating officer will be taking over as an interim ceo uh, starting the 1st of april 2024 interim meaning that they will be hire another person uh, another after hiroki head, totoki yes. oh, okay. uh, someone outside or inside is not really certain but yeah, I think I mean PlayStation will be fine. Obviously, it is a it is a big company that's been around for a while, and just because one guy one head head leaves doesn't mean it's the end of the world. No, of course not. They probably have like what five year, four year plan they have to follow follow through. They just need to find the right head to get it moving, get it set in motion, and everything. Alright, sticking with Sony and one of its biggest studios, Naughty Dog, they've decided to lay off some developers. Uh, what's happening there? Yeah, so according to a Kotaku expose, uh, Naughty Dog is the latest studio to lay off employees with at least 25 contract workers um, being let go at the end of this month, October. That same report stated that The Last of Us multiplayer shooter spin-off is going to be in trouble and will be put on ice, according to sources close to Kotaku. And yeah, this is actually the factions mode that was supposedly planned for Last of Us Part 2 and Part 1. I mean, for next-gen and current-gen. But again, this news all happened after that whole announcement with Jim Ryan retiring. And it is clearly linked to the 12 live service game plan because this Naughty Dog game is actually one of them. And I think, I believe this is the, bun- this is the game that Bungie said that no, it's not going to work. So it really sucks that people are getting laid off because of a, a grand plan that could have worked. But oh well. So the layoffs were revealed to employees last week. I mean, on, I think it was uh, uh, earlier this October. And unfortunately, no severance pay has been offered because, again, these are contract troll workers, not full-time players. Mm, yeah, so so it's kind of sad seeing that, I mean, um, they're struggling to actually release this um, expansion, right? Um uh, More like a standalone game. It's a standalone shooter. Um, oh, it's supposed to be standalone. Shooter, yeah, like multiplayer. Basically, a... Uh, player versus player in teams and everything. You got to craft stuff. You got to hold the fort and then defeat other players in the Last of Us action combat engine. So it was pretty fun back in the PlayStation 3 days. And um, I don't know why they didn't bring that mode forward. It's kind of strange. So well, I guess this was your plan and then it's now on hold lah for now. Mm, yeah. Do you think that Naughty Dog is also concurrently working on a on a like single player game as well on the side? They are definitely. Obviously, they are not going to announce it. Maybe for this year's uh, Game Awards or next year's Summer of Games events, but it's still too early. I mean, anything that PlayStation usually announces will be like, oh, in your own state of play or the Game Awards and whatnot. So. After Spider-Man 2 has come out, which we'll get to later, I believe nothing else is in the cards for now. Okay, maybe Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, but apart from that, I'm not too sure. Everything's up in the air. 
Alright, okay, moving on. Um, Platinum Games co-founder and Bayonetta director Hideki Kamiya has left the studio. This is a big news, right, John? Uh, yes, he left on the 12th of October after that announcement around the tail end of September. And he has opened up his own YouTube channel to talk about like a lot of things. So he only said that the move from away from Platinum Games came after a lot of consideration based on his own beliefs and was by no means an easy decision to make, quote-unquote. That's basically the message that's kind of brought up in the video he did. And let's see, uh, I'm going to quote some things he said like as to why he quit. He said that, how can I put it? Question mark. And then he said, oh, so there's no way I can put it. He rewords his statement about like, uh, based on his own beliefs, that's why he left Platinum, not the easy decision to make. And then at the end of the video, he said that, please subscribe to my channel. And then I guess I'm unemployed. He leaves the scene on his Ferrari. <laughs> kind of funny when you think about it. And um, yeah, also he stated that he, he has a no-compete clause for about one year, which means he cannot work with any game studio or make video games for the duration of 12 months, which is pretty common. Lah. I mean, Shinji Mikami had that for when he left Platinum Games. I think it was about like uh, close to 12, 12 months or six months, eight months or so when he left uh, Tango Gameworks. Mm, okay, so... He's going to be a YouTuber for now, at least for this one year first? Well, he has one year to do other things apart from video game creation because he cannot touch that field at this mm. point in time. But I can tell you that Platinum Games is in deep waters. Lah. Let's just say that because this was the guy who made the company what it is in a sense where because of him, we had Bayonetta, all three Bayonettas and... Yeah, Wonderful 101 in a couple of games. While those games did not sell as insanely as they should, they were beloved by many critics and players all across the world. So to have him leave and everything is kind of sad. But at the same time, I think we should actually feel a bit more sad for Platinum Games who have been receiving money from various investors from China. I think there's only one investor for now. Mm. I mean, it might be ironic if Capcom ends up buying them out. I mean, it's because it's like a <laughs> like, like like it's like a full circle thing, basically. Because uh, Platinum Games was born out of disgruntled Capcom employees. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So yeah, I can see something like a twist of fate happening right there. But basically, Platinum Games is not in a good place right now, considering the last few games weren't really the best, like Babylon's Fall and. Yeah, I think that's about it. That was like the big <laughs> game that was pretty terrible, Babylon's Fall. Yeah, as for Kamiya uh, himself, um, I mean, we can only discuss this maybe a year later, but he'll be okay, right? I'm very sure he will be okay. He has probably saved up a lot throughout his 13 years, no, 17 years of making video games. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a prediction of where he'll go next after this? Uh, no, not at all. Um, <laughs> it'll be funny if he actually went back to Capcom after one year though, like, you know, as a guest yeah. developer or something, you know, to help out with the next Devil May Cry or action game that they're creating. Mm. All right, moving on. Um, we finally have an official confirmation of uh, Microsoft uh, buying... Activision Blizzard, everything has been sorted out after the CMA approved um, the deal. So um, tell us a bit more about this because there are a lot of uh, movements happening now that the purchase is official, right? Yeah, I can make a few uh, yeah reports here and there. So obviously, all of um, Activision's games and licensed IPs from your Crash Bandicoots to your Guitar Heroes to 
I guess Tony Hawk, I guess. And mm. yeah, even uh, yeah, even and all the Blizzard games from your Diablos to your Warcrafts are now under Microsoft and Xbox. Um, there will not be a uh, Xbox Game Pass versions for Diablo 4 and any of uh, the company's new games um, this year. Maybe next year, but not not for the next few months though because it's just been settled and it's pretty it's too soon to you know start creating these offers and whatnot um other movements include Sarah Bond being promoted to president of Xbox with Phil Spencer being promoted to CEO of Microsoft Gaming that's a big move mm. and Bobby Kotick will be leaving Activision starting early next year i think January or February under a i'm not sure how much but i know it's a very substantial golden parachute when he leaves, he'll get a substantial amount when he leaves. And of course, uh, we should talk about that really big price tag that Microsoft had to fork out. It's <laughs> US $68.7 billion. That is something that could fund most third world countries, if I'm being honest here, mm. to buy a video game company over. It's... I'm a bit... I'm not sure that... I, I mean, I'm sure... Micro, I mean, obviously, Microsoft has a lot of money. It's just 68 Okay, $69 billion is a lot of money, dude. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how game production will go in the uh, next few years, but I think they might have to reel back on certain things if, if they want to do some first-party stuff. But then again, maybe part of that money would go towards you know making Activision Blizzards or even Activision's new games like that are coming out next year, the year after. So in terms of like Microsoft first party titles, I mean they have a lot. Come and think of it, when you think when you mm. when when all is said and done, they have a lot of first party titles that they can make first party if they wanted to. So it's both a good and a bad thing because I'm not sure what Xbox can do if they blow sixty nine billion dollars. Can they even make a game under their own banner under the Xbox gaming banner? That's a big question. Yeah. Will so will everything moving forward be labeled as? Microsoft own, you know what I mean? Like, 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 will will all the games under Activision Blizzard currently, like the games that we know and love, will they, they spend billions on it? I think <laughs> they should actually. Uh. Yes, I mean they can make the, the decision how how they can profit the most. Like if they if they see that Call of Duty is doing multiplayer numbers, yeah, leave it onto PlayStation and whatnot. But if they feel that it's more beneficial for Xbox and PC, they can make their own decision decision from there. Basically, it's gonna. Mm. How do I say? They're not going to rock the boat so much, but the boat has already been shaken a couple of times going into this. And you got to see yeah. a lot of rumblings happening in the next few years or so. Just not immediate. I mean, if I'm a big company, if I paid this much money, yes, I will want to keep some of my games exclusive. But for my current player base, playing my big franchise Call of Duty on multiple, multiple platforms, I'm just going to let it stay on for a bit for now because um, getting something recuperation getting some recuperation back in the long term is pretty important too mm, true staying with Microsoft um, you know or rather Microsoft own studio uh, Bethesda's long time publishing head Pete Hines has left the company as well yeah he has worked with uh, Bethesda and Zenimax for 24 years he announced his retirement on Twitter uh, appropriate considering that Starfield has finally shipped. He felt that it was the right time to leave. And uh, yeah, this decision was made shortly after the Activision Blizzard buyout from Microsoft. So I won't say it's, I mean, it's probably coincidence, but at the same time, it's something that he's, he's been planning la, for a mm. while. I mean, 
he has had a pretty insane run. I never met the guy personally, but I've heard some good things and some bad things where he's the kind of guy who's friendly, but he will blacklist you if you are seeing a lot of like leaked a, b- a bunch of stuff from Bethesda and some of the studios like Kotaku did for I think Arkane Studios and a couple of other companies here and there. Hmm. So he has a bit of a vendetta or whatnot, but he, I, I can tell that he's been around long. He's the PR face and everything. So 50-50 lah, basically. Loyalty to the company and all that. So he will be missed. Another influential figure in the gaming scene, right? Yeah, you could say that. I mean, he's usually the go-to face when it comes to speaking about Skyrim or any of the Bethesda games back in the day, Fallout 4 and whatnot. So he has to be that face next to Todd Howard. So between him and Todd Howard, they would exchange places in terms of like doing PR work and whatnot and interviews. So it worked out just great lah, I guess. Hmm. Sticking with Bethesda, um, their Fallout franchise has decided to expand its reach and they've decided to come up with a TV series. Um, can you tell us a bit more about this? Yeah, sure. The Fallout TV series will be coming out on Amazon Prime Video and will begin streaming on the 12th of April, 2024. So the announcement came out on Fallout Day on October 23rd. It had a little nice little post of the Pip-Boy from Fallout, the mascot, no, sorry, Vault Boy, you know, with the thumbs up and everything with the streaming date in the whole, with, in green and everything, just like how it came out from the Pit Boy from Fallout, the device. So the stars include Ella Purnell from Yellow Jackets and I think she voiced Jinx in Arcane League of Legends. Walton mm-hmm. Goggins from Justified. I think he might be playing one of the ghouls, I think. Michael Emerson from Lost. Zach Cherry from Severance and Carl McLaughlin of Twin Peaks. So... I'm interested to see which character Carl McLaughlin will play in this Fallout show. But I'm going to guess it's going to be like a bunch of mini stories that combine together. Or maybe you'll follow one story of the Vault Hunter who came out from one of the vaults after the Fallout and everything. And then exploring. And it'll be like a self-contained episode like Mandalorian. I think that structure of the Mandalorian will make a lot of sense. Like standalone stories. And maybe for the final two episodes, it'll be connected. Hmm. Because uh, the Fallout universe is begging to have a TV series because of its gripping story, tale, and its narrative, and the trappings of the world, and the fighting, and the violence, and everything, and the twisted storylines. With the best being Fallout New Vegas, it has one of the best storylines. So if anything, the Fallout TV series can probably take a few scripts and storylines from part one, part two, three, four, and what's the other one? Oh yeah, Fallout New Vegas. So any of the stories, or maybe even bring in one or two of the old school writers like and the creators like Tim Kane, um, some of the fellows from Obsidian, and Leonard Boryarsky, a couple of those guys coming in to pitch in, uh, like a supervisor or one of those guys, a creative consultant to see where the story goes. Because there's a lot of potential to see a pretty cool Fallout TV series. If current video game adaptations are of, you know, any indication and they've been really good so far, right? I mean, you yeah. did like The Last of Us show that came out earlier this year, right? True, true, yeah. Uh, but it's just that it's going to be another post-apocalyptic show. Yeah, which is, this mean, one has yeah. a bit more dark humor and, you know, like some uh, dark comedy twist storylines and yeah, there's mm. a bit of comedy and levity in between the seriousness and everything. So it'll be a good balance where Last of Us is totally serious. Mm. So there's a huge way of how they tell their storylines and whatnot. Like Mandalorian. Mandalorian has like half comedy, half serious. It's like an epic storyline of a guy taking care of a little kid, right? Like yeah. Lone Wolf and Cub, but you know, Star Wars. 
So it can go around that same route. Humor, balancing comedy and drama. All right, yeah. And Todd Howard will also be involved in this. Uh, he'll, he'll be the executive to. producer. He owns, uh, I mean, his company owns license. So yes, he has to. Yeah. So this series will premiere on the 12th of April, 2024 um, via Prime Video. Um, so we're looking forward to it. Um, and last but not least, uh, another new... Ubisoft stuff, yes. <laughs> involving yeah, one of your favourite game series, I suppose, <laughs> even though it hasn't been released yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll talk about the first one. Um, Ubisoft game Call of Duty Killer X Defiant will be delayed to an unspecified date because um, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 is coming out. And I don't think Ubisoft... I mean, Ubisoft said that they wanted to release X Defiant as like the Call of Duty replacement. But because Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 has plans and there's a whole Activision buyout thing, they're going to delay this game indefinitely, despite the fact they had a public play test here and there. So I guess maybe after the Call of Duty season has waned out within the ne- October, November, December onward, maybe they can release X Defiant another time. Because mm. it is meant to be a replacement. So to have your replacement coming out with the real deal might be, you know, suicide on, on Ubisoft's side. So maybe they don't want to have another Hyperscape or live service game fiasco happening, right? So Yeah. So they want to, pre- they want to protect their exifying baby. Uh, speaking of uh, other failed projects, uh, We Are Skull and Bones being delayed again to January to April 2024. I'm surprised I've not heard anything about the Singaporean government suing Ubisoft yet, but maybe they worked out a deal behind the scenes for all you know. But yeah, um, even despite the fact that there was actually a preview, a beta of the game that came out a couple of months ago, which kind of reviewed poorly, I might add, based on mm. different sources here and there, the Ubisoft multiplayer pirate game will be delayed. It'll come out between January and 31st March 2024, according to a new Ubisoft fiscal earnings call late this month. So yeah, for those who don't know, the game was actually announced in E3 2017 and was planned prior to Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag coming out. It also had a 9th March 2023 release date, which was obviously pushed back. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know what to say. I, I mean, but at this rate, do you think gamers are actually looking forward to even <laughs> no, playing the game? Not. They're moved on. <laughs> they have moved on, definitely. I don't know why this game is still sticking around, but yeah, sure, if it's out, it's out. You know, maybe they can have like a ninja release or whatnot. But <laughs> as far as I know, I'm surprised there hasn't any been any repercussions yet from the people who are actually funding or giving grants to Ubisoft Singapore or Ubisoft mm-hmm. for that matter for this project. Yeah. But, okay, I guess we can talk about Ubisoft later in another segment. True, true. All right. Um, I'm actually looking forward to your review of Skull & Bones eventually when it will, <laughs> when, when it will be released. Uh, maybe if, not so much when. <laughs> that was Jonathan Leo, KKP's content director, rounding up the biggest news in October. Coming up, October releases, including Spider-Man 2 and Super Mario Bros. Wonder. Stay tuned, you're listening to GG World Played on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to GG Well Played with me, Hanif Baharudin. Joining me for our last episode in October is Jonathan Leo, Content Director at Kakuchopore.com. We've summarized the biggest news in October and now let's run up this month's releases, starting with the big one, Marvel's Spider-Man 2 for the PlayStation 5. Marvel's Spider-Man 2 is the obvious sequel to Marvel's 
Spider-Man and Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales. It is an action-adventure open-world game where you get to control two Spider-Men, Peter Parker and Miles Morales, as they go through another adventure featuring villains like Kraven and the Lizard and Venom, according to the trailers you've seen. So the story is, uh, I guess you could say it's like a couple of years after Miles Morales and the first Spider-Man game and it's a continuation of that. It's a return of Peter Parker's old friend and then they have to go through a bunch of missions and a lot of stuff just happens. And I'm not going to say much about the story because the game just came out, but I can tell you that the gameplay is great. I just love the fact that there's no loading whatsoever in the game. You go in, maybe maybe a few seconds of a black screen and just come in, you get to swing around. And then when you switch characters between Miles to Peter and Peter to Miles, yeah, the, the switching is very instantaneous and everything. It's got this little cute transition and everything. And you've got a lot of like technical prowess being shown because this is Insomniac Games who did Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart and people love that scene with the portals. You'll see something like that in the game eventually, but yeah, the fact that it just goes on seamlessly and you can go through a lot of the game in like 20 hours or so just shows that you don't need to have like a 50 or 60 hour bloated experience to have a great game. All you need is just 20 hours, great writing, great story, and great action. I can tell you the combat here in this game is so much more improved with many gadgets, tricks, and skills the point where I'm like, you know what, I don't feel like doing stealth, I'm just gonna go in, just knock one guy out and fight all the rest of the enemies coming in wave after wave because combat is just so much more fun. It, I mean, more spot on and you have a parry button. It's something that Insomniac took from other action games but it's definitely needed considering the fact that you can, you could actually play this game from start to finish without getting hit if you're really good. Which is great. I mean, you got that, got so many skills and options to play the game, the dodging and the parrying and the swinging and the... Peter Parker has this little cool gadget coming out from his back, like the Iron Spider mechanic, and Miles Morales has his uh, Venom powers and his invisibility and whatnot. And other special powers he gets later in the story. But the whole point is, yes, this, is, this game is worth buying a PlayStation 5 for. I believe a lot of outlets like, uh, like Kaku Chopre included, we give it like 100 out of 100. It's just really, really good, really well made. It's what you expect from a triple A blockbuster game and a lot more because it's just well done. Having said that, I did come across one or two funny bugs. Like, um, there's one time I got hit by electricity in a particular stage and the electricity effect just stayed on with my character until the end of the mission. And so he's been prevalent in the cutscenes. And I think that was one part in, uh, Ferris, uh, sorry, in this carnival area where I got stuck. So I had to just basically reload last checkpoint, which is only like, what, a, a two seconds away? And the game was fine after that. So beyond those little odd bugs here and there, the game is pretty much perfect. Like, it's for comic book fans, for fans of action games, and for fans of just Spider-Man in general, because Spider-Man is a really big pop culture icon, and I don't know anyone who does not know who the hero is, because he's been blasted around in billboards and whatnot, in cartoons and whatnot, so... Yeah, it's, it's a game that justifies the release of a PlayStation 5. And for you to buy a PS5 just for this game, yeah, go for it. Sounds fantastic. Um, what about the story? Hey, Pete. I'm working on a college application and 
It says I gotta tell them about myself. More like sell yourself. It's the worst. You got any advice? Well, take me. Hi, I'm Peter Parker. I'm 25 years old, I have a bachelor's degree in biophysics, and I'm in love with the greatest woman ever. <laughs> Humble brag. Who is the best journalist in this city? Word. Go, MJ. I try to live up to the example set by the other greatest woman ever, my Aunt May. Humble brag again. Damn. And a while back, I was bitten by a radioactive spider and got superpowers. I, I can't put that in my essay. Hey, I'm laying the track as I drive the train. Uh, yeah, the story is great. Um, good follow-up. I think the writing is so much better compared to Miles Morales and to an extent, be better than the first Spider-Man game because it hits home the whole uh, power and responsibility uh, line from Uncle Ben, but in different dynamics. And there's also a keyword that's been used in the story called balance. I'm not going to say when it's being brought up, but it's being brought up quite a lot in terms of like how these two Spider-Men, you know, work between saving New York and juggling their daily and professional lives, you know, outside of crime fighting. It does so in a really great way. And there's a lot of callbacks from the past games. But again, this is kind of unnatural considering there's a number two on the title, right? So you kind of need to do a bit of catch up here and there. And luckily, there's a recap that tells you about what happened in the last two games. Yeah, one small complaint that I've read online is the fact that the game isn't that long. Is, is that really a problem? Oh, no, it's not. I think 25 hours to 30 hours is just great for an open-world game, especially if you want to mm -hmm. get everything. Um, Like, you don't want a game that's too bloated like Assassin's Creed, Valhalla, and Odyssey. You want something that's like, it's worth the time and money, your investment, and it doesn't actually, you know, eat, how do you say, waste your time. And Spider-Man 2 does not waste your time in the slightest. Everything you do is not filler. Like, I felt, I was actually coming in the fear that, oh, we're going to do those, like, grindy missions all over again, like with the first Spider-Man. But no, I mean, they've refined and tweaked a lot of the side quests, but at the same time, they made it meaningful with, like, better payouts and better payoffs and better storytelling and better action and rewards. And mm -hmm. I felt that having it, like, 20, 24 hours just to play through the entire game, I mean... For from start to finish story, doing the side quests and whatnot, just works out just great. I mean, if you want to platinum it, I guess maybe another two, three hours, I suspect. But by and large, I think games should not be bloated. It just should be like a meaningful experience, regardless of how long it is. Mm, all right, awesome. Okay, moving on uh, to a game that was released on the same day uh, as Spider-Man, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Mm, yeah, this is a 2D platformer from Nintendo exclusively on the Nintendo Switch. It is, I guess the biggest main mechanic is the elephant power-up. You've got the bubble power-up and you've got like uh, the Wonder Flower. Oh, sorry, Wonder Seed. If you collect it, you basically alter the stage temporarily. It gives you a new mechanic for you to work with. Either it's like a top-down side-scrolling kind of game or maybe extra platforms or maybe some monsters act differently. They grow bigger or you grow smaller or whatnot. Different little mechanics here and there. But it's fun and all, but once the gimmicks wear off about maybe three, four hours, you see a solid but not quite inspired game. Having said that, I mean, I'm comparing this with other Nintendo platformers they've done. Like, it didn't wow me as much as Odyssey or Super Mario 3D World did. But at the same time, 
it is still serviceable. If this is like your very first Mario game, yeah, go ahead, buy it without reservation. It's great for multiplayer, it's great for kids, it's great for everyone of all ages. It's a fun party game. But in terms of like breakthrough, groundbreaking Mario game, it's it doesn't hold a candle to like Galaxy 2, um, what else, uh, Mario 3D World or Super Mario World or... Yoshi's Island especially. I mean, I mm. think that whole uh, Wonder Seed mechanic was taken from Yoshi's Island when you get high and everything. But uh, like, it's it's a fun little gimmick. Don't get me wrong. But that's all it is. It's like, it doesn't really hold much attention for me as someone who has appreciated its games from the 90s and whatnot. It's fun. That's all I'm going to say. I mean, I'm not saying it's like the best among the best, but it's still like, again, you could do worse. I mean, I think I give it like a 6 out of 10 or 7 out of 10, but it's around that mark. I don't know if it deserves all those praises the magazines have been giving or the outlets have been giving like 9s to 100s. It's insane. This is, uh, I, I feel like this is everybody's first Mario if they give it that higher score. Ah, I see. Interesting. Because, um, yeah, I mean, so when it comes to Mario, I mean, when you have releases like Galaxy and Odyssey, um, those releases were quite creative, right? In in I guess trying to bring something new to the table. Yeah, um, so very very creative. Mm. But wonder it hits all the checklists, and I don't see anything impressive about it. It's I mean it's fun. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I I, I mean I still bought it. I mean I paid through it from start to finish. But at the same time, I felt that yeah I I hold I guess maybe because I hold Nintendo to a very 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 high standard. I know they can mm. do much better than this, and this one is more like. It's half they're being creative and half they're like, what's the word? Uh, complacent. That's uh, the word. I feel okay. like this was the same for uh, Legend of Zelda, the new one that came out, uh, Tears of the Kingdom. Of the but Kingdom. that's probably a story for another time. <laughs> All right. From one platformer to another, um, Sonic Superstars, new release from Sega. How's uh, this game? Yeah. Uh, this game is actually kind of fun. It is a new 2D Sonic game with 3D graphics similar to Sonic Generations back in the HD 360 era of gaming. This one has multiplayer, but I don't feel that this is their best feature because multiplayer in Sonic Superstars is not well thought out. Having said that, because when you focus on one character and the fact that the game is a very momentum-based, speed-driven game, you're going to be having one character careening out of the screen and everyone else has to follow suit. And it's going to be really hard to keep up compared to maybe something slower like Mario Wonder. Mm. Having said that, as a single-player experience, I love what's been going on here in terms of like mixing the old with the new, trying to be like Sonic Mania but in 3D with a bunch of new mechanics, and also upping the challenge when it comes to adding new modes. Because once you finish a game once, you get to play through a new mode with a new character called Trip, and the levels are basically remixed to be harder and more difficult purposely. So, and then each character has like different skills. So you can use Sonic, you can use Knuckles, who can glide, Tails can fly temporarily, and Amy has a double jump. So whoever you pick can basically change your how you tackle the various big sprawling levels. I think my favorite has to be the new casino level and the new gold level they have. But beyond that, I think it falls, I won't say it falls in the same trap as in, uh, Mario Brothers Wonder, because... Sega has been very up and down with their Sonic output. So I do actually give snaps in terms of like Sonic Superstars, you know, going into this and knowing what makes a great Sonic game. And there's a stepping stone for that. So I would give Sonic Superstars a bit of benefit of doubt compared to maybe Nintendo's Mario. All right. Okay, moving on. Uh, we have two more games that are very thematic to Halloween. Uh, the first one is World of Horror. 
this looks very unique. Oh yes, it is a one bit or two bit uh, <laughs> first person adventure roguelike RPG game. Where ah. you play as a student who has to solve five different mysteries, collect the keys from those mysteries, and go to a lighthouse door, open it, and stop the summoning that's happening because you know that a giant cosmic horror is happening. So the thing is, it's played like a roguelike, and all your cases have different outcomes and different modifiers. Like when you make a choice, you either get a buff or mostly a negative. And you have to get through each of these in one single run. If you lose your sanity, your reasoning in any of these cases, or you die halfway, you have to start all the way from the beginning. But luckily, this isn't like a very like a five-hour game. You can basically complete one case in like maybe 10 minutes or 20 minutes. Think of it like Hades, except in a first-person, one-bit adventure, Shadowgate kind of style, kind of title. And if you really love the works of Junji Ito and H.P. Lovecraft, you will love the artwork and the writing of this game. I highly recommend it were it... Okay, my only issue is probably the repetitive combat because you solve every different combat the same way. You hit, you, you build up attack attacks on your turn, you stack them up in the bar, and then you press confirm to unleash your attacks. And you basically do this until one of you dies. And that's pretty much the entire combat sequence. But to see the graphics and the atmosphere, experience everything, that's all top tier. I would highly recommend this indie game despite the repetitive combat. I feel that the combat is just a trial to go through, through divine mm. uh, trial and error. Whereas the entire story, the trappings, and finding out what happens at the end of each mystery to see the outcome and the graphics and everything is your reward, lah, basically. So it's a lovely, remarkable horror experience. Mm, you said that it's a roguelike yes. game, technically. Um, so, but does it have, does it have a replay value? Oh or? yeah, a lot of replay. I mean, you will probably die in your first run, so you probably retry over and over again because you will know what decisions to make that actually boost your stats or which ones will, which questions or which areas to avoid when you make decisions. So, I mean, some things can be random, of course, as mm. the nature of a roguelike. But you will get more permanent upgrades and whatnot throughout your many, many playthroughs. So you will eventually conquer the entire game in one sitting. But just a matter of how many times is really up to you, how lucky you get as well too. Alright, okay. Last but not least, uh, a game that was just recently released last week, uh, Alan Wake 2. Yes, this is the highly anticipated sequel to Alan Wake and to an extent Control. So this is a game made by Remedy Studios. They have made a lot of third-person action supernatural titles and this is the return to survival horror. It's a lot more restrictive. It's a survival horror narrative based game. It feels uh, quote-unquote novel and risky. It's done with a lot of... Con I mean, 
I feel that the game's writing itself is done with a lot of confidence and has its vision concerning the writer Alan Wake and the storyline of the other character, the, a policewoman who somehow the stories intertwine together. And I didn't actually play a lot of it yet. Uh, my writer has reviewed it. He said it's actually, he actually finds it really great. And the end result of the game is definitely something that you don't want to miss. Lah. Let's just say that. It's a game that's steep, very meta. It is very, how do you say, unique and very immersive. But at the same time, there's a lot I don't want to spoil in that sense because it's a very story-driven game. All you need to know is it's a third-person survival horror game. And it's better to go into Alan Wake 2 blind because of its many surprises and its many deviations from the norm in gaming storytelling. And I do feel that it is a, definitely a long-awaited sequel for everyone waiting for a sequel, a follow-up to the first Alan Wake. Okay, let's move on to two shows that we're going to review as well. Uh, oh let's my, start with I forgot the... about that. Yes. That. <laughs> yeah. Let's start with the first one, Captain Laserhawk, a Blood Dragon remix. Um, yes. It's a production by Ubisoft. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually done by a French animation studio. And of course, Ubisoft were handling the film distribution side. So it's about a cybernetic warrior called uh, Dolph Laserhawk who has been betrayed by his partner in crime and actual partner. And he's been captured by this uh, shady group who puts him and a bunch of other people in a suicide squad type of ordeal where they got to do a bunch of missions. And if they don't do their missions, a bomb in their head goes off. I'm going to kick your So it's six episodes on Netflix. Uh, it features a lot of Ubisoft characters and cameos and references in a dark sci-fi dystopian world ruled by a mega corporation called Eden. So one of its standout moments is the portrayal of 90s Ubisoft mascot Rayman. He is, um, yeah, he basically is a mouthpiece for the company, talking in talk show hosts, and yeah, let's just say his portrayal is like R-rated, and that's all I'm gonna say. So it's a uh, six episodes of quite a wild ride. I'm just going to say that. Hmm. So it's loosely based or inspired by Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon? Uh, right? Blood Dragon? No, no, no. It's actually... Okay, it takes the name Blood Dragon Remix, but it's an entirely new story where it takes all these different characters in one unique storyline. Oh, yeah, so it's like... Uh, it follows uh, Dolph Laserhawk and people he teams up with is an uh, assassin called Bullfrog. He's a f literal frog who's dressed up as a Assassin's Creed character like Ezio. Mm. Yeah, and you've got like Paige and Jade from Beyond Good and Evil as part of the team as well. And yeah. yeah, they team up to do adventures and whatnot. And it takes a lot of twists and turns and there's actually other character reveals from Ubisoft titles that I'm not going to reveal because it's actually very spoilerish. But I'm going to say that it's very unique. It's got that whole French r-rated sensibility going on and the story goes to different places like r-rated places i'll just say and it's available on netflix right now so you can tune it in as we speak mm, yeah it's very cool to see uh, a show utilizing all the ips right uh, and, and and rather than i guess just creating a direct adaptation they actually utilize you know all the ips to create something that's new and yeah, yeah it's like a well. brand new story and it's actually done by adi shankar who has done a lot of like really weird and gory Netflix animated series. So to have Captain Laserhawk do this is 
on brand lah, let's just say that. And I'm actually surprised that Ubisoft signed out and just said, yes, go ahead, turn Rayman into a cokehead, you know, that sort of deal. <laughs> All right, another one that we have is Mortal Kombat Legends Cage Match. Um, based this is on also... the video game Mortal Kombat. Mm, yeah, based on the game video game Mortal Kombat. Um, what's this about? Give me that scroll! One hero will rise. <laughs> Stop hitting people! Enough! Oh, shit. We need you for the Brotherhood. This club sounds great. Where do I sign? Screw you! What the f- Joe McHale. WWJCD. What would Johnny Cage do? Jennifer Grey. You still don't get it, do you? I'm starting to. And Gilbert Gottfried. This is your lucky day. Do what action stars always do. Get a huge trailer and save the day. Mortal Kombat Legends Cage Match. Okay, so this is actually a prequel to the Mortal Kombat tournament storyline. It focuses on Johnny Cage, uh, one of the prominent uh, main characters in the game. It's set in the 80s and it's about him finding his uh, missing co-star, Jennifer, while on the shoot for his possible hit movie called Ninja Mime. So that's, I think there's actually an in-joke that people wanted to see pay off because throughout the games from Mortal Kombat 9, Johnny Cage has been mentioning about his movie Ninja Mime that brought him to stardom. So this is actually the first time you actually get to see bits and pieces of the film in action as a, like, as a, as a starting role, starting part of the film. And the movie stars Joel McHale as Johnny Cage, Jennifer Grey as Jennifer, and I believe Kelly Hugh voices Ashra, who's actually one of the characters from Mortal Kombat. She is actually the white hat girl. She dresses in white from Mortal Kombat 1. She's like a demon trying to be a human kind of character. So she plays a role in this uh, prequel. And this is actually this movie is known for being like the last role for of the now deceased Gilbert Gottfried. He's one he's a comedian with the really funny voice. He voiced Iago from uh, Aladdin. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, It's actually a really fun show you got to watch if you're into the whole Mortal Kombat lore. I felt that the previous Mortal Kombat Legends animated shows from Warner Brothers has been a bit, a lot more misses and hits. But I felt that this one's a hit because it has a simple story. It's got some fun action, nice stylized 80s kind of neon vibe artwork to it. And yeah, the references and the and the whole the throwbacks from the Mortal Kombat series is all prevalent in this show. So do check it out. Although this one might be a bit tougher to find. You might need to buy it on Google Play or subscribe to HBO to check out the Warner Brothers section. Mm. Can viewers go in blind if they're not as familiar with the Mortal Kombat franchise? I think they might need to know who Johnny Cage is first for a lot mm. of this to sink in. I think you need to watch Mortal Kombat Legends or at least watch the first Mortal Kombat movie, the, the Paul W.S. Anderson movie. The original one to know who Johnny Cage is because he is supposed to be the stand-in for like John Claude Van Damme, but they couldn't get John Claude Van Damme in the game, so they made a, made up a character named Johnny Cage. It's supposed to be this pompous uh, movie lister movie star, but he deep down he has a heart of gold lah. So mm. to have him as the main character for his own show, this movie animated movie is pretty cool. I mean, he's actually a likable character. He's obviously a egoist, but. He's a gold-hearted egoist. La. So it's, it's fun to follow. La. And the fact that his voice by Joel McHale also makes sense in the sense. <laughs> yeah. 
Cool. So that wraps up a very packed October. Uh, what can we look forward to next month, John? Oh, quite a lot, actually. So we have Robocop Rogue City coming out on the first week. And we have this other indie game called Cuisiner, made by Singaporean studio Battle Bruce Productions. It is a combination of a roguelike action game mixed with a restaurant simulator. So think mm. Hades, but mixed together with Dynadash. And then you've got the Invincible visual novel. I believe the subtitle is Atom Eve. A a visual novel using Invincible characters from the comic book series slash animated show from Amazon Prime. You've got Persona 5 Tactica, a strategy game based on the Persona 5 series. Like a Dragon Gaiden, Super Mario RPG The Remake, uh, Grand Blue Fantasy Versus Rising, the major update to the 2019 game Grand Blue Fantasy Versus, and you got Tevi, a Metroidvania pixel artwork featuring uh, cute little characters made by an indie studio. You're tuned into GG Wallpit, and I was Jonathan Leo, content director at kakuchopore.com, summarizing the biggest news and releases from October. For more gaming news and reviews, head over to their website, kakuchopore.com. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, look for the podcast on bfm.my. Our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also find our podcast on Spotify. Do share your thoughts and the games that you play via our email, ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on X at BFM Radio. My name is Anif Baharudin. Thanks for joining us. Game on and please take care. This has been GG Well Played. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.